learning that the heart of diocesan priesthood is really about your people. Which is not to say it's not about God. Of course it is. Of course it is. Of course it is. But our so I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like I'm a glorified social worker or whatever. But there are sometimes just like really amazing moments where I just get to be father for someone else. Yeah. And it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, you know, it, it was just last Sunday. And so I, you know, said mass and everything. And like, I felt like my homily was okay. It was, mm-hmm. it was fine. You know, it wasn't wrong. Uh, but maybe it wasn't my best. But okay, fine, whatever. And thank goodness I'm more calm about that than I would have been. Um, I'm actually able to kind of just relax after, you know, preaching and have it be fine. But, you know, going, um, my youth group started up again after a long break and uh, seeing our young people and like, I know them, they know me and just hanging mm-hmm. out with them and being with them and how ridiculous they are. Yep. And uh, so, and also there's great hope. There's great hope, Father Harrison, for the culture yeah. of our youth. Good. So we were uh, playing a, a game where they had to be blindfolded. Basically, they had to run down the gym and not get hit with a dodgeball as they're being blindfolded. And they had team members who could see and it could help them. Oh, That's the quick story. All you need to know is they had those b- bandanas as blindfolds. Right. Afterwards, Patrick, is our youth minister, is explaining the metaphor of the game whenever. Classic good youth minister stuff. And one of the kids takes the bandana and ties it over his head. And goes, hey, I'm Prison Mike. And I was like, yes, TV shows that you, you're. There's a blank stare on your face. I have no idea what he's talking about. Oh, oh, my oh that's that's from The Office. Yes. Sorry, it took and me a second. And this kid's like what, 15, 16? It's been a while since I've seen The Office, so okay, sorry. But we're immediately we're, we're like, oh yes, here's a man of culture and of taste. Oh, applause, applause for you and youth group for today, young man. <laughs> that's awesome. So it was just like stuff like that is just yeah. so delightful. You don't get to do it all the time because sometimes no. you're doing administrative stuff. But it does happen to me a lot that I get to see a lot of amazing people and what God's doing in their lives. And right. it's really cool. So I'm just thankful. Yeah, it was interesting. Like I, uh, we on Sunday, I went downstairs after mass for this Sunday. It was a pancake breakfast. And I, I'm trying hard to like sit with people who I haven't sat with yet or something like that, right? I've been here two years and they're still, and it was really delightful. Like I had a nice conversation with two elderly ladies in the parish and uh, they were sharing some stuff with me in a good way. I was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is good. Like in hearing from them and I'm like, oh, this is, this is nice. And um, one of them actually I'd never really ever met before. I don't even really remember seeing her face. And I, I don't have a massive parish, but I was like, wow, even that, that's uh but it's good. It's like it's yeah. You just you need to find those opportunities. The thing is, it's it's hard sometimes, right? When you have lots of responsibilities, you gotta you gotta set aside. I mean, I think if deep down, if we could, we would just be with the people all the time. We wouldn't have to worry about you know going over budgets, homily prep, talk preps, whatever. We gotta do those things too, though, right? Set aside some responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But when we have those opportunities, it's really good because it helps us see. Okay, this is. Um, yeah, you had to hear from your parishioners. One actually was really nice. She goes, I was telling her about my upcoming trip to Australia. And I'm like, hey. And she's like, I was telling her about the talks I'm doing. She's like, oh, that talk sounds really interesting. Do you think you could ever do it for us? I said, yeah. I don't see yeah. why, not. why not. I just wasn't <laughs> expecting them to find interest in that topic. So, you, so that was good you, to hear. What are you good talking to hear. about? Oh, my gosh. I got like I got a ton of So, well, I said my lecture at or my, my talk at the conference I'm going to not interest anyone. It's well, it, it would interest someone like Patrick and that's probably about it. Uh, the Who? concept of reason in, in, in the thought of Ratzinger is influenced by St. Bonaventure. 
It sounds it sounds captivating. It's so captivating. It's actually quite interesting to me. Right? I'm sure it actually is. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to Perth. So I'm going to be a talk to a young adult group at the university there on discernment, I decided. It's my bag. Nice. And, I, nice. and I think kids need to hear it. Mm. And then I'm going to do a talk to the staff at the Archdiocese on kind of like Theological Anthropology 101. Why why the vision of the human person is really important. Heck yeah. And that was the one that was really intriguing to her. And then I'm doing a talk at the Dawson Society called uh, kind of um, Desiring Hearts in Modernity, uh, Apologetics for a, third, for a New Millennium. And I'm going to talk about, and it's something I want to talk about on the podcast one day, is how we can go about apologetics differently. Yeah. And speaking so, of the podcast, yes. welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. I kind of just bantered already. I mean, like, you got I don't anything know. else? Uh, to be honest, not, 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 not really. Actually, I, I got a lot going on here, so I'm like, yeah, I that didn't, sounds like I, I wasn't like, but yeah. So those are those will all be fun. Yes, but, but anyways, I'm just saying all that more like. But in the end, it's nice to hear from your parishioners because sometimes you make decisions, you're not sure about things, and you you don't know always what's on the heart of your parishioners. And you hear like, oh, actually, I'd like to hear that. I'm like, oh yeah, I could totally do that. I just didn't think that would be of interest, but that's cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. I want, I want to share one more super cool story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So I did a house blessing for these uh, friends of mine. I've known them for a long time. I've known their family for a long time. And uh, they want me to do a house blessing, but they also wanted me to invest their family in the scapular. Mm. So as people may know, uh, the scapular, sometimes you see Catholics wearing it. It's that little um, necklace with a little brown piece of fabric. And long story, very, very short, it's something that you wear. There are certain devotions that go along with it, and it's uh, in honor of Mary. That's a short version. But to be uh, officially invested in it, you need a priest. Mm -hmm. And so the husband had already been invested, but the wife wasn't. And also their four-year-old and their six-year-old wanted to be invested with the scapular. And particularly the six-year-old, she was so excited. She started wearing her scapular before it was even blessed. And she was telling her dad, like, Dad, I can't wait until it's blessed and then it'll count. And I was like, it's so good that you're wearing it. It's so good. But she was excited. But the thing is, like... I don't think a six-year-old is at the age where they can fake piety yet. Right. Like, it takes an old person to fake piety. And so I was putting the scapula on her head, and she, her eyes were closed, and she was just taking the entire moment in, like, so right. genuinely and so prayerfully. It was beautiful. so awesome. It's like, oh. That's really I, beautiful. Oh, it was just so cool. There's so many good things happening in Catholic families. Now, mm-hmm. most of the time, their kids are, you know, causing a ruckus and being loud at mass, just like anybody else, you know. Right. Uh, but it was like this little moment where she was just super excited because the faith is being passed down to her, and it was just, it was, it was lovely. That's awesome. Uh, nice. I, I got so wrapped up in that story that I don't have a transition for the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. The Summa you know, Theologica. The, no, I'm just going to keep going. You can't criticize me. I'm talking. The Summa Theologica was St. Thomas Aquinas' summary of 
faith and theology and stuff. And the Summa Theologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. No, so this is your idea. This is your idea. This is your idea. Listen, I'm off Twitter now. Now I just do what I want. No one can stop me. I'm free. I'm a free man. Hey, do I actually thought about quickly? What, if you're on Twitter, you this might yeah. actually get people, more people to listen to the podcast because they can't see your tweets anymore. To find you, they have to listen to the podcast now. That's true. That's true. This, this actually may be good for the brand. It's all the long con. This isn't about my spiritual well-being or my concern about the community. It's all about, it's all the, about the long the sweet con clicks. for the sweet our clicks. podcast. God help us. Okay. What you got? I don't know. I'm not on Twitter. I got to look at this real quick. You want me to go? Yeah, I mean, you go. Okay. Uh, this is from a couple weeks ago, but uh, from Matt Canaday at Hymnographer at Father Harrison. If you're interested coming to Indianapolis, our theology department just got a donation of 10,000 books on theology and we can't store them all. And then there's a video attached. And I. There's so many books. I teared up. Are you okay there, buddy? This is so beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. And Father Heaven, Father Harrison was taken up to the fourth heaven, and he saw the glory of the Lord. <laughs> so many Ignatius Press binds with rats ears name on it. Oh, so there was good books, too. Oh, no, it was like all good stuff. So I just... A lot of times when it's like a parish book sale, it's just like everything that Father had left over from his 1960 yeah, exactly. seminary, and you're exactly. like, eh. Exactly. <laughs> this was like... A, it was, uh, it was just when you get stuff like that as a as a book nerd in general. It I'm just like looking at that. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that would be a a lot of work to go yeah. through. Like, oh, oh my, my gosh, ten thousand books. But my gosh, that would be fun. I would have Absolutely. so much fun with that. And <laughs> I was a little envious, and I was like, I actually thought, how can I get to Indianapolis? And that it was not possible. But right. <laughs> I just thought, that, I mean, also, who has 10,000 books? <laughs> uh, I have a I lot. Mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'll ever get to that level, though. Every time I how move, I do books, a purge. How many books did Newman have by the end of his life? Wasn't 20, it close 000, to that? 20,000. Well, see? Okay. You're on your way. I get to see his personal library in June when I go to Birmingham. I'm very excited. Be, I'm uh, very your excited. joy brings me joy, Father Harrison. I'm, just, I'm so excited. I'm just going to take pictures. I'm just going to be like... I won't even care about looking at the books. Just seeing it will be amazing. I'm just, I was, it's like the Scrooge McDuck vault, except with just books, and you're just diving in and you're, you're diving in. You're paper cuts. You're like, I don't care. I don't care about the paper cuts. It's so awesome. All the all the glue smells. It's amazing. All right, that's it. That's a lot to say. Perfect. This is from Michaela Striving at Talitha Rising, and she says, "I have been introduced to a concept that I need everybody to be aware of." Pooled pork pancakes. And the rest, she says, the recipe also uses Jack Daniels maple syrup for the pancakes. I'm desperately in need now. And uh, so, Michaela, we're going to do our job and let people know that this is a thing that exists. Pooled pork pancakes. And I think that that would be delicious. And I the reason why, so too. This, is, this is the sister food to chicken and waffles. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you have chicken and waffles. Which you got like the sweet and the savory, amazing. Now pulled pork pancakes, same same concept. I would definitely try this. So would I. I yeah. I don't even know what it would taste like, but I mean anything with pulled pork. Pulled pork just makes everything good. 
right? So uh, the question is, like, is pulled pork on the pancake? Is it within the pancake? Uh, I would think it was like a topping. Uh, yeah. Kind of like but, blueberries, the, you know? Like, I mean, well, I know you can put blueberries too, but most often, like, or strawberries. Strawberries on pancakes. Oh, yeah, right, right. right? It'd be like but that. But this is like a, a whole new world of deliciousness. I don't know. The possibilities are endless. Maybe there's pulled pork in the pancakes. Maybe it's on top. Um, <laughs> At the same time, it, I wonder, like, oh, my gosh, God is going to judge us harshly for our, our exuberance in food. <laughs> I feel I, I feel like God rejoices in our creativity. Like God was fair. like, I can't believe they put pulled pork on pancakes. That was never meant to happen. How amazing. Now, of course, theologically, God's not surprised by anything. But I feel like there's a rejoicing in that. Yeah. Amen. Um, I was uh, going to say one more thing about pulled pork pancakes. What was it? I don't know. I, don't, I, can't read your, I can't read your mind. Oh, I was going to say this. I was like, but the problem with pulled pork pancakes is how can you do work after you eat pulled pork pancakes? Oh, my gosh. I, like, how can you do anything except fall into, like, a blissful coma? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think this is how I want to – I, I, I hope my life will end. <laughs> I will have a time of – I'll have mass and adoration. Mm-hmm. I will go to peruse for a few days all these uh, 10,000 books. Yeah. I would eat pulled pork pancakes – and I would just die in peace. And you would just... Doesn't that the sound, permission of Father Harrison. Doesn't that sound perfect? It sounds amazing. Right? right? Pray God that that is the, all of our fates. Oh, I, I, I highly doubt that will happen. Um, <laughs> all right. So this is uh, from Father Ryan Hildebrand at Father Hildebrand. Uh, he's quoting from first Liz Brunig who says, My responsible professional friends are like, I can't have kids right now. I'm not ready to be a parent. I need... To mature more. Meanwhile, I'm in charge of two small people, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Is it okay for them to eat leftover tree tinsel? I don't know. It's probably fine. And Father Ryan says, this is basically how I run my parish. LOL, like I have any clue about what I'm doing. And amen, amen, I say unto thee, none of us have any clue of what we're doing. And um, yeah, it's true. It's like it's like parenting too. It's like you don't really get the grasp of parenting until probably five or six years into it. I think it's the same thing with being a pastor. You have to do it for like five or six years to really have a sense of like working through your own weaknesses and inadequacies, inadequacies in order to kind of get a, a stable hold of what you're uh, of knowing how to move forward. Because it's like there's no training on what to do when like yeah, like I remember talking about it on the podcast last year, right when I had that funeral for that sixteen year old. I don't mm-hmm. know what to do. How do you handle yeah. all this, right? Right. Um, how do you handle parish budgets? All this stuff. It's like, how do you plan and how do you evangelize as a parish? These are all things. I have no clue about what I'm doing. And there's no training for it. And I'm just kind of learning by doing and trying. Yeah. But I think we need to get over a little bit this idea that before I do anything, I have to know exactly what I'm doing. Because um, that's like most of life. It Most of life isn't like, oh, I have been fully prepared for this thing and now I can do it excellently. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. Now, it does happen. It does get smoother when you get older, right? So, yep. Father Harrison, like, uh, um, you know, in 20 years, you get a new assignment. You're going to have a pretty good idea of what's good and what's bad and what to do yep. in a parish. Yep. And you'll be ready more so for all of those intangibles because every parish is its own place with its own culture mm-hmm. and that'll still be new but you'll have a better idea of how to deal with it and exactly. the same thing goes with like a lot of stuff yeah so like we shouldn't beat ourselves up for not knowing what to do right away exactly 
And, and also, I'm just gonna say this. I'm gonna say this because you've said this about yourself several times. Like, you could be so much worse as a pastor. Oh, I know. Like, you could be a big old jerk who hates people, and you're not. Oh, or like, I could you, be a priest who's like, do what? I'm gonna say mass every day, and that's it. You're right. You could be. I could. So I could get away with that. Yeah. But I don't want to. I do not so, want to. So you're doing just fine. Why? Oh, I know that. It's just. No, you, I'm you just gonna affirm you, fine. and you're gonna say fine. thank you for thank affirming you. me. Thank you're you. You're welcome. All right. What do you got? Okay, this is from. No, that's another Francis Chan one. I don't know. Even before you're off Twitter, I, I was sending a lot of the tweets. <laughs> I know. Just, I'm, I'm so just, bad. I'm just like, I mean, yeah. In a way, you being off Twitter is actually not going to oh, change okay. anything. Okay. 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 Yeah, it's truly not. <laughs> this was from a few weeks ago. Okay. Um. But this is from Reverend Michael Corrin. Oh my gosh! Yeah. At Michael Corrin, and this Reverend, we, as a side can note, we, can we put it in air quotes with him because he's a lapsed Catholic. He's a lapsed Catholic or who a, is a part of the yeah. Anglican, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, and he says, "If I were Pope, I'd ordain women and married men, democratize the church, sell its wealth, and transform its teachings on sexuality." Do you know who Michael Corrin is? Good for you, buddy. Look good for you and your opinions. You've got opinions, friends. That's wonderful. Good. Do you feel better about tweeting that? Is that good for you? (laughs) Do Do you know who Michael Corrin is? No, he's somebody who doesn't understand what the church is. He used so no no. Uh, I know who he is. He's he's a Canadian. He's originally Mm -hmm. from Britain, but he's Canadian. I should have known. And he was evangelical, then Catholic, then Anglican, then Catholic, and now Anglican again. And he tried to make a, a, a life for himself, a brand, if you will, as a kind of conservative, like kind of like a fo- like kind of like a Fox News um, equivalent, you know, hard nosed TV personality who argues strongly for conservative positions, regardless of what other mm, people think. It doesn't that goes care, well for priests, right? Well, he wasn't a priest at the time or anything. He's uh, just a, he's a layman. He's married. He's a layman. Okay. Um, and. Um, he and he's even wrote he even wrote a book that sold quite well called Why Catholics Are Right. Fascinating. And he left the church over her teachings on sexuality. I do know that that's something he's always struggled with, but now he's kind of gone off the deep end and has essentially totally rejected everything that is uh, not just authentic to Catholicism, but I even say like authentic to Christianity, like around marriage and stuff like this. And uh, so. I find his there's a few things here. I find his I find his tweet just incredibly offensive but also revealing he never understood the papacy. Yeah, obviously. Cuz he's seeing it as a place of power where he could just change things at will. But the papacy is always at service to the tradition we've received. It is not some you know it's like when John Paul II uh, wrote his letter on women's ordination, he said, "I do not have the power to change this." There you go. It has nothing to do with power. It's like what we talked about from last episode. It's like these are the teachings of the apostles, and you can't just mess with it. And so he – yeah, it's – and and so that's not how the papacy works. So when he was Catholic, he obviously never really understood what the papacy is or what the magisterium is because if he did, he wouldn't be saying this stuff. And I'll just put one final note is that this is – Teachings are never just teachings. Doctrines are never just doctrines. And I think the reason why 
a lot of people, if they're honest with themselves, yeah. and I know this from my past as well, a lot of times the struggle with teachings and doctrines is not so much the intellectual struggle, but a an interior struggle. That mm-hmm. I have a problem with this because this is a part of my life, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a place where you have to be, one, if you're helping someone along, you need to be a lot more gentle and reverent and careful and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like all these things, they all tie together, uh, which is why I think, you know, we've said in the past, like one of the marks of a good theologian should be a sanctity of life, mm-hmm. or at least a striving for the sanctity of life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because these things are all intertwined. They're all yep. intertwined. I think you can see that a little bit here. Speaking of sin, let's, let's move into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn oh, it's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Oh, yes. 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 Quite. Yes. Quite. I don't care. I'm a free man. Let's just do it. Let's just go. Let's <laughs> move on. So I want to do a little discussion here. Um, okay. Not just about sin, because that would be depressing. Uh, but particularly awesome. No, that doesn't work. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, these things are really uh, sin and the love of God is kind of what I want to talk about a little bit mm-hmm. today. So this is something that I've been praying with for a long time now, but particularly like a lot of my prayers have been focused on this. It's like the Lord's moved me in this direction. Um, so that's the preface. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I saw uh, a po- uh, my buddy, Carl, posted a video of his little son who's taking his first wobbly <laughs> steps. And he's like just wobbling along, taking a few steps, falling down. Super, super cute. And he's like real excited to walk. But he's mm-hmm. not good at it. I think it's fair to say that this this small child, whom I love, is bad at walking. He's quite bad at walking. Right. But when you watch the video, you don't think, oh, that kid's really bad at walking. You're like, look how excited he is to try to walk. And then when he falls down, his whole family is like surrounding him, right? Yeah. And they're all showing him support and love. And it's funny because the first thing he does when he falls down is he turns and looks at his mom. Yeah. And his mom's like, you did such a good job. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. And I've been like praying with that image yeah. because I love it so much. It's not that God rejoices when we fall down. But a lot of times when we fall down, we expect to see a scolding God, you know? And so I, I just tweeted out something along the lines of, this is how God sees us. Like yeah. you like you on a human level can see this child, even if you don't know this child, and you see him trying to walk and falling down and you just love him, mm-hmm. okay? That's a better analogy of how God loves us. And there was one response and it was very genuine and honest and uh, I was glad I saw it. It was just someone said, I'm trying so hard to believe this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the crux of what a lot of people are going through today, that it's so difficult for them to truly accept that God loves them. Yeah. It's always like a qualified yes to God. Like, yes, Lord, I know you love me, but at least you're frustrated with me, right? Because I'm so frustrated with myself. How can you possibly love me? Or like, I will let you love me, God, after I do all these penances. Mm-hmm. Or when I'm not doing sins, you love me, and then I do sins, you don't love me. Right. Or a lot of times it's a little bit more nuanced. It's like, right. Lord, if I do these sins, you still love me. But if I do this sin, uh, then you don't love me anymore. Right. 
And it's not even very often a distinction between mortal and venial sin. Yeah. It's how bad the sin feels to us. Mm-hmm. Like people, like they try to put it in the theological distinction, which is an important distinction. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, but I think very often it's like we have sins in our own mind because either our upbringing or our personalities or our history, where like these are the not okay sins. Mm-hmm. And these not okay sins they're really what defines me. They're the dark side of me that if people knew this about me, they would hate me. Yeah. And so how, and I hate myself for these sins. So how could God possibly love me? And the whole terrifying power of the gospel is that indeed God loves you, even though you do those sins. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I want to break open a little bit Mm -hmm. today, because I think it's tough for a lot of people, Yeah. Um, but not everybody. Right. Yeah. So what do you think so, so far? Maybe can I, I'll, please go I'll on. Give a, yeah. I'll give a little theological underpinning to this, right? To help people understand this, I guess. Yeah, it, do it. It's the cross reveals, I think I've talked about this before, but it's, it's worth repeating. The cross mm-hmm. reveals to us that we are not our sin, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us, right? He becomes, he takes on the whole consequence of sin without ever having committed a sin, or anything like that. And so the cross reveals the distinction between our identity and what we've done. And part of, so part of it is we struggle with this, I think, because we are so inundated in, um, through everything we consume in media and, and and the internet and everything. We're so consumed with this idea, I am what I do, right? So when you, so I've done this sin, I am that, right? And they're like, no, no, no. You are a beloved son of God. Mm-hmm. You are a beloved daughter of God. And God can not only choose to forgive this sin, but he chooses to forget it because it's not your identity. Your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is who you've been adopted into, which is mm-hmm. G- you are in Christ in relationship with the Father. Yeah. Right? And this is this is the whole this is the theological underpinning of this truth. You are not your sin. You will never be your sin. And the devil wants to convince us that we are our sin because then we, that's why we have a hard time letting go of it. It because we actually identify with it. And when mm-hmm. we identify, like trying to be kind of passively sensitive, I guess, in a, in a way, but where this can ultimately lead, I'm not saying this happens for a lot of people, but the logic of it is if we identify ourselves so much with our sin that when we die, we don't want to let go of it. Hmm. right well if you don't want to let go of your sin then you don't want to be loved by god right i'm not saying that that's you know but i'm just saying like that yeah, that's the no, logic of it good. right yeah because i want to get into that what yeah. you just said a little bit a little bit because okay uh this it, it, a lot of times we do this this holding on to our sin this um refusing to allow god to forgive us it's not something we do on purpose it becomes more of like an instinct in us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that happens because of early wounds right. in our childhood or maybe other wounds or just stuff we can't identify. I don't know. You might say to yourself, I don't know why I do this. I just do it. Right. Right. But a lot of people don't even realize that they do it. Right. Right. And it's in realizing that you do do this and allowing God to heal that, that real transformation comes mm-hmm. because I, I really believe and I, one of the reasons why people struggle so much with habitual sin, especially with habitual sexual sin, mm-hmm. is because they're still refusing to allow God in them. Yeah. They're still 
refusing to allow themselves to be weak right. and to realize that without God, they can do nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. It's still, it's like, no, I still deserve to punish myself. No, I still deserve to remove myself from the family of God. And that's why that, that image struck me so much of the little kid falling down because he's literally like surrounded by his family. Mm-hmm. But the image a lot of times we have of ourselves is when we fall, when we sin. And this is, this is even true when you mortally sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but like you don't get cast outside the family of God, Right. Think about that. Yeah, here's the thing. This is why I say this. So yeah, no, no, no. You're right. You're right. We don't get cast out, right? It's not like excommunication. Right. right? It's not like excommunication, but even it, like it hurts our I, it hurts our communion with the family. Right. Absolutely. Right? And it, it hurts does. the family. Yes. Right. It, it's like if but you're taking here's the, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that happens. Like yeah. so often, and, and so many people had experiences of this that you sin, you do something wrong, and it hurts you, and it hurts the family, and then the family breaks apart on a human yeah. level. So yeah. often that's happened, or you, you have a friendship and one of you hurt the other person. Yeah. And then in that moment, when it was time for reconciliation, when it was time to sit together in your pain mm-hmm. and let it be uncomfortable and to show the other person that you still love them, yeah. we've had experiences where the other person has said, no, yeah. I refuse to love you in that. Yeah. And that is such a wounding experience yeah. that it's very easy then to project that onto God. Yeah. So. I guess the, you know, when we, if we, let's say, I don't know, let's say we're in a family and I don't know, we stole 500 bucks from our parents, right? Mm-hmm. And we did something that hurt them, right? It hurts them financially. It hurts their trust of us, etc. And we expect on the natural level of justice that we're going to get our comeuppance, that we're going to get the punishment that we deserve for that. Mm-hmm. But that is, and then we impose this on God and on the church and we think I did this it hurts my communion with God it hurts my communion with the church therefore I'm going to be punished for this and rightfully so I deserve this but this isn't actually how God works it's it's it, the image that you used at the beginning about this family with this child is more it it, it, and it kind of maybe let's maybe twist it a little bit it's like then it's like afterwards instead of the family saying you're grounded Nothing like that. You're not. You're. You're losing the car privileges. You can't go out anywhere. You can't have. You can't do. You lose your phone. You lose all these things. It's instead of the family saying, "We love you, and we just want to come to understand why this happened." Yeah. And that's a different approach. That's the approach of love. Like I, I, I mean, there's also. But this is the thing. The analogy also breaks down between the human encounter with that. Yes. And the divine encounter with this. Right. It's. It's. Because on, on a human level, like, so the analogy is really good, but it's not a perfect analogy, yeah. right? Because on the human level, uh, a little child is still trying to learn, and even through adolescence, trying to learn what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. And so a lot of times, the idea that love has been broken is not going to click in their minds, yeah. right? So that's not going to be a motivating factor for repentance. Right. Okay. Uh, so a punishment then is a motivating factor for repentance when someone is young. Yeah. So I'm not saying if you take away your kid's phone, you don't love them like God loves them. That's different. That's different. Right. So we're talking about, so just to put that caveat out yeah. there. Yeah. But I think the the radicalness of Christianity, it says that, and this is why the church is structured the way she is. It says, no, when you sin, God is there to pick you back up because I guess at the heart of this is we have again it's if you see the christian life 
not about me. You see, I think too often maybe we, we see our the Christian discipleship as this kind of like, it's me on my own, pulling myself up by my own two bootstraps, trying to make my way to God. Yep. And and I've got all these rules that if I don't follow them, God's going to make it even harder to find him. Yeah. Right? Rather, the Christian life is a participation in the cross, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that that's at work in us every day. And so that when we're struggling with like temptation, that's Jesus letting the grace of the cross work in us so that he can free us from it. And we're battling with that. But Jesus isn't getting down from the cross. He's willing to be crucified in you over and over again through your sin to say, I'm going to remain here until you rise with me. Yeah. And that's how we have to approach it. That's yeah, God's love. He's, he's not guilt tripping you in exactly. this. This is an act of love, of utter and complete patience and charity. Yeah. It's not like, so, because so often, and this happens because I think a lot of, especially young people, or recent converts have this beautiful zeal. Yeah. But then Satan will twist that zeal into scrupulosity. And so a lot of times, if you're listening to this and you fall into this, it's very easy for your brain to twist any good thing you hear into guilt tripping yourself again. Yeah. So if anything we, we're going to say in the in next few minutes, like makes you like guilt tripping, that that's not, that's not, mm-hmm. that's, that's the, the, uh, an evil voice that you've adopted exactly and that evil voice you've adopted is because you've been wounded yeah and it's much easier to adopt those voices and have them play over and over again in our minds and our hearts uh i want to talk about two things that make accepting um the love of god and the mercy of god difficult and i think one is our understanding of mortal sin right and a lot of people kind of know what the basics of mortal sin are so, but let's talk about it. Uh, where are you, catechism? <laughs> so, mortal sin, um, classically known, is this is the sin that cuts you off from God, right? That's how most people understand it. Right. Okay. Right. But I think the image that Teresa of Avila uses in the interior castle is the best one for it. Okay. So the whole idea behind interior castle is that there's many mansions in your soul. Your soul is infinitely beautiful, most especially because God dwells in there because of your baptism. And there's this beautiful mansion in your soul, and you get to explore different areas, communing with God in these different rooms. But the very center of that castle is God dwelling in you. And it's this bright light that shines throughout the entire house that brings warmth and everything to it. Mm-hmm. What mortal sin will do is that it clouds the lights. It makes it so you cannot see, but it doesn't kill the light. Mm-hmm. The light is still there. Right. It just utterly clouds it. And so you're lost. And so then it's when you need to go to the sacrament of reconciliation or anointing of the sick um, to have that connection be cleared up again. Right. It's not that like God has been removed from your soul. Right. Okay. God's still there. In fact, they even call it that you feel repentance that's a sign that God's grace is still working in you. Exactly. Yeah, like it's not, grace isn't this linear function, right? Yeah, like yeah. It's not like, okay, I'm going along this path, X happens, therefore I have to now take a new path, and every, it, grace doesn't work quite this way. And not only this, you also have to think it in the larger scope that everything is upheld in God. And so yeah. even even those, like the, we always like to say that the torturing of those in hell is the fact that they know that they are upheld in existence by a God who loves them. 
mm. right? Um, there's never a moment where God's not upholding you and that you're utterly cut off from him. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So that's yeah. really important. Also, I think a lot of times this, uh, there's three things that you need to, to commit a mortal sin. This isn't a how-to video, so don't like, like listen yeah. to this and be like, ah, now I know how to go commit mortal sins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. But just so you know, this is what it is. Yes. <laughs> First of all is grave matter. And the yes. catechism says this. Grave matter is specified by the Ten Commandments, corresponding to the answer of Jesus Christ to the rich young man. Do not kill, do not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, when you read that first sentence, you think to yourself, wow, so anytime I steal a pen from my office, that's grave matter. Right. But you got to read on. The gravity of sins is more or less great. Murder is graver than theft. Right. Thank you, Catechism of the Catholic Church. One must also take into account who is wronged. Violence against parents is in itself graver than violence against a stranger. Right. Okay. So... The church doesn't say, doesn't give you a list of these sins are grave if you commit these sins against this person. The church doesn't do that. And a lot of times because we don't see that, we don't have that list, we create one for ourselves. Right. And I've seen so many people think that any sort of thing, any sort of sin is, uh, is grave. And for one example, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, Father Harrison, I am pretty strongly convinced it's very, 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 very difficult to commit grave sin in your thoughts. Yeah. Particularly around the matters of things like lust, things right. like anger. Right? Yeah. Because our minds are super, super tricky. A lot of times those thoughts arise from habits and habits that maybe we fostered. Right. True. I'm not saying there's no sin there. Yeah. I'm not saying there's no culpability there. Yeah. But there are people who are so so hurt because they think that every time they look at someone with lust or even every time they look at someone with, with physical attraction that they've committed a grave sin and that's not true. Right. And that's a real tough place to be in. Yeah. And so when I, when I counsel and talk to people who, who struggle with this, a lot of times they'll say to me things like, uh, you know, I'm just stupid that I think this way. Like, no, 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 you're not stupid. You're not bad because you're afflicted with this you are afflicted with this wound mm -hmm. that God indeed is going to heal. And that healing may take a lot of time. Uh, but don't think of yourself as a bad person mm -hmm. because you struggle with these things. Cause that's, that's once again, kind of playing into that self hate thing. So, yeah, I, I think if it, there, there has to be some very strong conditions that are possible for a thought to be immortal sin. Yeah. It's, but, yeah, I would agree. I think it's hard for a th you have to essentially say like I'm willing to will this even though I know I can't. Yeah. Right? So like because like something like I I want to murder this person's cat. Yeah. I I cuz that cuz first of all cats are the worst yeah. and this one is super annoying yeah. and I would. I freaking would. In fact, I'm going to spend like 10 minutes right now thinking about how I would murder this cat. Yeah. Okay, I think that's kind of grave. Yes, but, um, but, but yeah, you're dwelling on it for a long yeah. period. You're being intentional about, but maybe the only thing that's um, holding you back is negative consequences. Yeah, right? exactly. It's like, I would do this with this person if this situation had came up. And, and I'm dwelling on, and, that, and again, there's a distinction. It's difference between like that thought pop in your mind. It might stick around for a minute or two, but you're trying to chase it away. You're not really dwelling on it rather than like intensely focusing, saying, right. 
if I get these three things, I'm going to do this. That That is where it gets to be serious. But that, I find, is rare. Yes. I find it's very I, rare I as a confessor. I think it's rare. Okay. So that's yeah. grave matter. Yeah. Next up is full knowledge and complete consent. Uh, oh, those are two things. Yeah. Uh, so first, full knowledge. So if, if uh, let's use my crazy example because that's the most fun for me. Like, if you somehow, like, were brought up being taught that murdering cats is a good thing and everyone should murder cats, that's not really full knowledge of what you're doing, right? Because you've been formed in such a way that, and through no fault of your own, too, mm-hmm. right? It's not like you're trying to, like, do this, but, like, I've just been taught from a young age that murdering cats is a good thing, okay? Right. Um, so that wouldn't be full knowledge in right. this. You see, right. that, that, and that's different than our legal structure. Our legal structure yeah. actually says, you, even if you don't know it, like if you're going 80 in a 60 zone and you thought it was 80, you're still liable, even though you didn't know. Right. No, that we, we, the, God works differently. Right. So, like, so in that case, murdering that cat, even though you thought it was a good thing, it's still a sin. Mm-hmm. It's still a wrong thing to do, but it's not going to be mortal in that case. Right. Now, for example, if like you start to hear things like, you know, killing cats is wrong and you start to feel this tug on your heart, like maybe I should think about this some more. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, you know what? I don't want to think about this some more. I just want to go murder me some cats. Okay, then it's now your fault that you don't have full knowledge of the sin. And so then you're more culpable. Right. And, right? and I think, too, there's the one thing you want to be a little careful with and this is where i get a little frustrated sometimes the way we talk about sin sure we recognize we did it we know it's wrong but we say but i didn't intend to hurt them or i didn't really or i didn't intend to do this right it's like like what five hundred dollars miraculously fell into your pocket (laughs) right your your intention is often manifested by the action itself Mm -hmm. right so no, you intended to do this thing. Yeah, you may not have intended the secondary consequences, but you still did the action, and that's still wrong, right? So, yeah. um, and and I think you're right. Like, and it's about listening to con- conscience. Isn't about like the consequences of our actions, but it's whether is this good or not. Yeah. And if I'm also because this is the other thing where we need to be careful with if we're trying to understand do I have knowledge of something like with killing of cats? Have I reflected on is this good? Yeah. That is something we actually are asked of always. Is this a good thing? And that's a hard thing. A lot of people aren't formed to think this way anymore. Mm-hmm. We think of, con- I was listening to Eminem's song, Conscience, the other day. Because of course you were Father Harrison. And it's very interesting because the whole song, there's not one bit about, is this good or is this yeah. bad? It's what are the consequences of my actions? Mm-hmm. That's not conscience, folks. That's consequentialism. Yeah. This is a bad philosophy. No, it's, is this good? And that's always a question we always have to be reflecting on with our actions. So that, yeah, let's say you were a cat. I don't know why we hate cats so much. Uh, we because make, it's funny to me. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you hurt a lot of cats. If you aren't reflecting on your action, that's something that you are culpable for, that you need to mm-hmm. think about and you need to repent of so that you can start to reflect on Because if God gives us the light of conscience... Over time, we will start to see maybe this isn't a good thing based on how I yeah. understand morality. Because it's the other thing. Other moral truths influence how we understand more particular moral truths. Sorry. Right. No, no, no that was good. That yeah, was good. Yeah, that was yeah. great. And then finally, 
So we've got uh, um, grave matter, yeah. full knowledge, and now complete consent. So this is a matter all sins are choices. We have to choose them on some level. And now there's different ways in which we choose things. So for example, if uh, because I've grown up in a cat-hating family, mm-hmm. and it's a radical cat-hating family, mm-hmm. And so my father says, if you do not murder this cat right now, you're not going to eat dinner for a week. Exactly. Do I have complete consent in what I'm doing? No, nah, it's been, it, it's not quite there, right? Right. It's still wrong for me to murder that cat. Yeah. But it's not going to be a complete consent. Right. Um, and this is the other thing that happens with habitual sin, a lot of times with habitual sexual sin. Yeah. Is that your brain has been rewired on some level. Yeah. So you're not going to have complete consent. Exactly. Doesn't mean it's not, it's still a sin. Still yes, a sin. it is. You know, it's still something we need to work against yeah. and, and choose against. Yeah. And and I would, but it's not going to be a complete consent. Right. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And I would still like, obviously recommend confession with that because yeah. yes, you do need that. But here's the thing. We also don't know ourselves sometimes and so very true it's even hard to judge our own freedom and so it's best to play it safe and there's grace there so use it right um i know i think it was a talk i can't remember who gave this talk once about their struggle with like sexual sin Mm -hmm. and how he felt guilty going to this priest literally hundreds of times Mm. and this priest always forgave him knowing that he might struggle to go again and again but this is the whole point Yes, you're going and you want to change, but this is, again, Christ working his grace of his cross out in you. He's making you wrestle with it so you can be transformed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I think it's also a little freeing to hear about the will thing. Yeah. Because it makes me realize if I'm doing what I can to grow closer to Christ in all this, he's going. he's not going to reject me. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's really important, I think, to know. I don't know. It's just important to know that. Like, yeah, you're, and uh, where the repentance, li- like, it's the same thing with any addiction, right? Where the repentance really lies is not so much with, I mean, yes, obviously with the continued sin, but it's really with the root sin, that first sin where I gave into this and it started me on this path. It's like with alcoholism, right? When yeah. I gave into excessive drinking to run away from something one day, that's where the problem really hit. And that's where I had full will. Yeah. But now I don't. So I'm not held liable for those later ones so much, but I am held liable for that first one. And that's and that's actually where a lot of healing comes in. Why did mm-hmm, I do this yeah. first thing? And yeah, I mean, this is, I don't want to get too yeah. off topic, but with habitual sins, with habitual sexual sins, those sins, I would say 99% of the time are a symptom of a deeper wound. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we focus on the symptom and not so much on the deeper wound. Okay, but the reason why I, I bring all this up and to have maybe a deeper understanding of moral sin is that I understand that for a long time, in a lot of places, let's say in the West, sin was not talked about, mm-hmm. right? Or you maybe had priests in the confessional saying, oh, don't worry, it's not mm-hmm. a sin. And so a zealous person says, I don't want to be like that, right? I know that sin is real and that I need God, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a good, good uh, intention. But I think a lot of people have gone too far. Mm-hmm. And because they don't have good guidance, they're beginning to see everything as mortal sin. And yep. so they end up cutting themselves off from the life of grace, not because of their sin, but because the refusal to go to the sacraments. Now, because we can discuss in general these different things, but for you in your life, 
who knows exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. So particularly if you struggle with habitual sin, you got to start seeing a spiritual director. Um, you got to start meeting with a priest because then, then you can enter deeply into these things yeah. because what might be true for you might not be true for somebody else necessarily. Can, um, can I throw one little may, caveat with that quickly? Please. Sorry, just now also recognizing though, like you might be in a diocese where priests might not be available enough for spiritual direction too. And mm-hmm. so at least regularly going to confession with the same priest is helpful. At yes, the very least. Exactly. That, that is a form of spiritual direction there too. Doesn't yeah. mean you have to sit down with them for an hour every week. Confession, right. regular confession with one priest is sometimes helpful enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And enough where the priest can be like, you know what? I don't want you to go to confession every week. Mm-hmm. Because maybe that's a part of the healing to realize, okay, this is habitual. Now you're relying on the sacrament as a crutch. You're abusing it. You don't mean to, but that's mm-hmm. what's going on. And you need to start going to mass more often. And yes, you can receive. But that's kind of advice that you need from someone who can, who has rightful um, authority over you. And right. that can be a regular confessor or a spiritual director. Okay. Um, so that's, I think, a big reason why a lot of times we, uh, uh, have trouble accepting love of God. I want to talk about one more. Okay. And this is this whole thing, uh, self-hate. Uh, that so often we end up hating ourselves and thinking it's good that we hate ourselves. And we think this for a few reasons. One, we read some of the spiritual classics. And the spiritual classics will have language in them about how you are a worm and no man. Uh, well, that's from the Psalms, but they'll mm-hmm. use that. Um, a lot of the stuff in um, True Devotion, uh, uh, when St. Uh, Louis is talking about uh, examining your sin and who you are without God, it is real radical language. Yeah. And so we read that language, and instead of interpreting it on a spiritual level, we interpret it on a psychological level. Mm-hmm. So what the saints are saying is that without God... You're nothing. But that's not a good image, right? Right. The human mind has trouble understanding nothing. You know what we do understand? Little things, gross things, bad things. So they'll use language like, you are a snail or you are a cat. You know, you are the, like, the things we think are bad in creation, right? To help us understand that without God, we're, we're nothing. Right. Um, or they'll uh, read things that the saints say that, you know, I'm the worst of all sinners. Mm-hmm. And they'll think, okay, so if I think I'm the worst, that will be my path to holiness. Right. But you have to understand, when the saints say that, they say that because they have a deep understanding of the love of yeah. God. Yeah. And you don't yet. Yeah, I was just saying right? to someone today, like, the only the closer you grow to God, do you realize your distance from him. Exactly. So you begin to grow, the saints grow so close to God that they see the light of their sin. They see in the light of grace their sin, and they they realize how terrible it is. Mm-hmm. But they can they can see that clearly because they know how much God loves them. Yeah. So there's not a hatred for the self. Exactly. There's an acknowledgement of how terrible sin is. Mm-hmm. But what you do is because you're not quite there yet. You think to yourself, "I am terrible. I have will always be terrible." We begin to think, like we said before, that this sin is who I am. And in fact, hating myself is then good. Yeah. And then we get to do these weird things in our brains. We start thinking, well, because I am the worst and I hate myself, I should punish myself. So I deserve to be in my sin. That's what I deserve. So I'm not going to go to confession. Or I deserve to be in my sin. So I can't even attend mass. Right. Or I deserve it. So, but here's the thing. You can hear it in the way I'm framing that. I'm doing this on purpose. Self-hate is a form of pride. Mm-hmm. 
and this is pride has 10,000 faces. Pride mm-hmm. is the sneakiest of the deadly sins. And so when you have a, a self-hatred, you're saying, I am the judge of myself. I know who I am. So I will not listen to God. I will not listen to the church. I'll listen to my own interpretation of what the church says or my own vision of God, which isn't accurate. And I will decide exactly how much God will love me. And so that self-hate becomes uh, a pride. And it also becomes a kind of selfishness. Now, I'm not saying this as an accusation. Right. I just want to bring these things out into the light, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so it's not, this isn't an accusation. This is just what it is, okay? When you hurt someone, a true repentance and a sorrow is a sorrow for that other person. I'm sorry I hurt you, hmm. right? It, it it pains me that I hurt you, but that's where that pain's coming from. Like, man, I hurt you and you, you are good and you deserve better because God loves you and I love you and I'm sorry for that. Self-hatred turns it back onto yourself. Like, I hurt you. And you know what? I hate myself for that. Mm-hmm. Well, you're being selfish. Mm-hmm. You're not entering into the own person's suffering. In fact, you're blocking out their suffering with your own suffering. And because you've been hating yourself for so long, it's much easier for you to just wrap yourself in a, in a prickly blanket of self-hate than to be with the other person and to be sorry for them mm-hmm. and to enter in compassion for them. Mm-hmm. So like, we need to stop using self-hate as a kind of virtue because it's not. It's not. And, it, and like also, I said, it also leads to scrupulosity. Yeah, it does. Right? Yeah. So, um, oh, I was going to say. Yeah, sorry, I cut you Self-hate. off. I'm sorry. No, 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 it was good. It was, it was a good point. But, uh, huh. I don't know. Um, maybe just to but, inter- reiterate that, um, nope, nope, I got okay. it. Were you gonna say I was going to say that. Help me out. Maybe. <laughs> though too then okay because i think if someone's listening to this and they struggle to know god's love for them Mm -hmm. hearing all this it is true right Mm -hmm. but i also know how their mind's going to work yeah 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 let's do this yeah they're going to accuse it's they're going to hear this all and then the same cycle is going to happen right they're going to accuse themselves the self-hatred is going to come it's like oh my gosh i can't I'm horrible for hating myself. How can I be so whatever, right? Like the voice is going to just continue its thing. And so it's about trying to develop um, a sense of of God's goodness to us and his love for us. And we need to be starting to become aware of that. So one thing I often get people to do if they're struggling to know God's love for them, I ask them at the end of the day to write down at least three things where they've recognized God's goodness in their life. And to actually write it down. Don't think it in your head. Put it on paper. Yeah, write it down. Get out of your head. Get it out of your head and then start, give it, do it for like three or four weeks and then read it afterwards. You're going to see patterns of his goodness to you. You're going to see, oh my gosh, even in those moments of suffering, he was good to me. You're going to mm-hmm. see a continuing presence of his love. The second thing I often recommend people, it's an exercise I did once on a retreat that I found really helpful was to meditate on, as if I was like a, maybe like a one and a half or two year old person with God the Father and as if he was like a human father in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what would that look like? Because I think how you understand that will reveal to you deeply how you understand God the Father. And if it's not something mirthful and joyful, if it's something stern, then that actually is going to reveal that there's something in your heart that needs to be converted to seeing the Father as someone who is good and wants to be playful with you. So that it's about, we're really at the heart of this is we're trying to kind of reveal the lie so that we can experience the truth of who God is to us. Yes, absolutely. Those are really good things. And, and when you first start writing that stuff down, it may seem really dry. 
And you're going to think things like, oh, I'm just telling myself this. How do I know? Just do it. Just do it. Because you're so used to the negative voices, it's going to take a while for you to hear the truth. So if it feels dry, if it feels mechanical, that's fine. A lot of times, um, scrupulosity and this, this struggle with loving God, it's we like to think it's an intellectual problem, but it's really not. It's really a problem of emotion, of intuition, of feeling, of instinct. Mm-hmm. And so... You need to take that that instinct and that way you've been raised and live your life, and you need to just beat it over the head yeah. with the merciful brick of truth that God <laughs> does love you. He does love you. He does forgive you. Look at this good thing God did for me. Amen. Look at another good thing for God. Like, and it's that's that's tough to do, but that's that's how you begin to do it. And it shows you this is why the gospel really at the heart of it is something so not just countercultural but counter anthropological in a way like it goes against our natural sense of who we are it says no there's actually a deeper more freeing truth but the fact that we struggle to accept it shows you just how deep sin takes its place in our hearts and in our yeah. lives and in the lives of our culture and so we need to kind of repeat this over and over again god loves you god loves you god loves you he's supporting mm-hmm. you he's he's trying to draw you along the path of the cross so that you, when you kind of die with him to your old sins, you might also rise with him. Yeah. So you're not a bad person. You're just wobbly. You're just not so good at walking. <laughs> and of course you're not, because how long have you been doing this? Yeah. 10 years, 20 years, even 30 or 40 years? It's not a long time in comparison with eternity. And if you have still trouble walking around, God's not mad at you for that. Right. He's going to continue to support and to heal you. God loves you and you're good. And Amen. That's that's it. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Cool. Hey, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at a parish in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. You can find me at Fr Harrison on Twitter. Contact the podcast and receive updates at Clerical Pod on Twitter, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.